Welcome to another episode of The Coiling Solution, where we look to empower you with awareness and actionable insights. During this episode, I want to continue the dialogue we've been having, working towards social justice and the eradication of systemic racism. To date, you've heard a perspective from a number of different folks. We've talked about allyship with Greg Hanafy from the Kellogg School of Management. I've talked with Angela Talton about how we make an impact on Fortune 500 organizations. And today, we're going to go inside of a company to get a unique perspective from a position I think of late has been more popular than ever before, the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And joining me for this discussion is my friend, Yami Akinsanya. Yami, yeah, welcome yeah. to the Coiling Solution, my friend. No, thank you. And thank you for pronouncing the name correctly. You know, that, that, that's a big challenge for a lot of us, even myself included growing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and let me, let me properly introduce you to the audience. I think it's always important that people get the background. Yami is a global leader, strategic thinker, and passionate speaker with over 11 years of experience in the financial market sector. Yimmy has spent over 10 years leading teams in technology, business development, and strategy. He's currently the director and head of diversity and inclusion at OCC, the world's largest equity derivatives clearing organization and the foundation for secure markets. Previously at OCC, Yimmy served as the product development manager and led a team of business analysts that balance multiple responsibilities focused on strategy, new product and business development efforts and the liaison role between central party clearing and settlement services organization and external business customers such as exchanges, banks and clearing members. While he had multiple positions at the company, Yemi's extensive experience in strategic advisory, data analytics, research design, product development, and affinity towards social impact inspired his decision to transition to his role as director and head of diversity and inclusion in 2018. In this role, he is responsible for building a diversity and inclusion office at the Clearinghouse. This includes recruiting and hiring the dream team to develop the strategy and policy creation of OCC's short and long-term diversity and inclusion plan. The mission is to inspire and engage OCC to build a more diverse and inclusive workplace and own a positive corporate culture right for social impact in the community. Prior to joining OCC in 2011, Yemi held positions at Chicago Mercantile Exchange and J.P. Morgan Chase as a lead QA analyst, where he specialized in large-scale initiatives for the financial services industry, specific, excuse me, specifically in clearing. Yemi serves on the board of directors for IC Stars, which is a program that provides technology-based workforce development, leadership training, and access to career opportunities for low-income adults in the Chicagoland area. He also seats on the advisory board of the Nigerian Stock Exchange. Yemi's also a grad, a fellow grad of the Kellogg School of Management, where I went as well. So, Jun, again, welcome to the Quilling Solution, Yemi. Thank you, sir. Thank you. God, that was a very long bio. We got to find a shorter version. I mean... <laughs> no, it's good. You know, I like I say, man, I, I think it's important people understand the history and the scar yeah. tissue, um, and particularly in these roles, I think it's good when people understand the business expertise mm-hmm and track that took you from the business to these roles? Because I think oftentimes people think these roles are, um, what's what I'm looking for? Functional roles are in and of themselves, sometimes don't have the same bite and traction, Mm. right? People don't realize it takes a lot to do those roles. And when you have some business expertise along with it, I think it helps you understand and have a broader perspective coming into it, right? Um, And and certainly you you have a lot of that uh, going into the role. So appreciate you, man. No, thank you. Thank you for that. And I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I tell people often that um, 
I am not an HR person. I do not claim to be one. Um, it, it's, 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 it, there's a lot of, uh, competencies that are necessary to truly be successful as a HR professional. Absolutely. Um, and I, I do not necessarily see, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion as an HR initiative, mm-hmm. even though in many organizations you see it sit under, uh, that HR umbrella. Um, but I, I think it's more of a culture initiative um, that you know typically should be um, needs to be um, driven by the very highest level absolutely of leadership within the company absolutely and to your point you know we didn't plan to go here but we're here so I think it's, it's worth vetting out there is no right or wrong in terms of in that role right if you grow up in the HR discipline that is a discipline that has a unique set of competencies and skills right and what you'll your your gap will be the business part and understanding how to necessarily work that part of the PL and you'll need a partner that helps you understand those different parts of the business. If you come from yep. the business and transition in, you'll be more conversant initially with the business people and you'll have to learn the competencies and skills and the HR functional part. The point is no matter where you start, you have to form partnerships. Absolutely. To fill in your gaps, right? And so there's no right or wrong. And I think um, people, as we need to, we need to understand that in this era of trying to be better at diversity, because when people talk about looking at talent, there's a phrase that's used sometimes that I think people toggle on, depending on how they look at talent. Should I take the risk or not? Or should I make the investment or not? And it should always be about the investment. As leaders, we're always making calculated investment choices, Right. And if we do the right things and sponsor people the right way, the investment turns into a strong return. Absolutely. Right. So enough, enough on that. Cause I can get on the soapbox on that one. Bro. Yeah, I, I hate well when we said. say, should we take the risk? Right. <laughs> it's not a risk. It's, it's a calculated yeah. investment on people. Absolutely. So, so let's get to know you a little bit better. What, what could you offer as a point of, you know, fun fact or otherwise that people who think they know Yimmy very well may not know. Oh man. You know, I, I feel like every day, um, I don't get asked this question every day, first of all. But every time I think about this question, I feel like my response is different. So mm. today, uh, I, I think my response is um, probably similar to previous days. But I think that I sometimes come off pretty confident mm. or... Uh, I might come off um, as I, I know, like I got it put together, like yeah. well put together, but not confident. Yes. Well put together. Um, but, but uh, unbeknownst that there is a, a team of individuals that are behind the back scene that are working to help me yes. <laughs> keep it together. Right. Uh, these individuals are uh, my sounding boards, um, my, my therapist, um, mm-hmm. um, right. So there are certain people that I go to on a day to day basis yes. that provide the support and, and that, that helps keep me together. So I, I think that that's one thing that I think it's probably newsflash to maybe some people who might see me from a distance or, um, might, might hear about me or of me, um, and, uh, not realize that, uh, most of the things that I've been fortunate and privileged to, um, have been a part of or accomplished, um, have been, um, less about my individual skill set and talent, and more about the the small community that that supports and, and yes. drives me. So, 
That's good. And, you know, you, you mentioned the word, so I'm going to bring it up, therapist. You know, mm-hmm. um, when we say therapist, particularly in the black community, I'm going to get more specific, particularly for black males. That's not a word that we want to mention often. How, how helpful has that been for you? Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's been tremendous. And I'll, I'll try to keep it short with my story. But um, my introduction to therapy was not by choice. Mm. I, I didn't one day realize that, hey, I'd like to go get it right. Because my understanding of therapy, like you mentioned, um, growing up as a black man, was therapy was for people who had either mental problems, who had uh, issues um, being, um, you know, I need to go figure out why I'm like this or yes. why I'm like that. It was typically in a connotation of you need help. Yes. There's something wrong with you. Um, and, um, and so for me, I was in a situation at the time where, um, uh, you know, my wife at the time told me, Hey, listen, we should consider getting a marriage counseling. Mm. Um, and you know, my first initial reaction was no, like, why would I go speak why with someone you, yeah. and have them tell me what's wrong with us? Well, we have to give them the information to analyze and I already have the information and I have the background and next, um, but, um, thank, thankfully I, I, I did I, I finally agree. And, and that was the beginning of a journey. And this was some, uh, God, almost five years ago. Mm. Um, and mm. I've since been divorced. However, that was the beginning of a journey that didn't stop, right? Yes. Once that door opened up and I started to realize the value and how it allowed me to go on this inward journey. And I think that's mm. what therapy is about. I think like, mm. you know, sometimes it's lost in translation or definition. Right. And for me, it's, it's that inward journey to places within my thoughts that I typically, um, whether consciously or unconsciously, don't go. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then, and then it, it get, you know, you have an individual who guides you into those spaces to uncover, right. have you uncovered that information? So it's not like they're telling me what to do, what not to do. It's right. more asking questions about how did you feel in this moment? Why did you think you felt that way? Uh, have you said this before in the past or in so-and-so? And, and, you know, through reflections, it's like, wait, why did I say that? Like, yeah. how come I couldn't answer that question? Yeah. Why, why did I lie to my therapist? Yeah. Like, that was the moment that got me a <laughs> yeah. lot. Like, yeah. why am I lying right now? Like, this person has no, right? You right. know, I can't use the excuse of, I'm trying to preserve their feelings. But that's what we do a lot is to that's say, right. oh, I'm trying to preserve feelings. So I'm kind of lying to you. You know, your wife asks, you know, your wife or your mom or your loved one tells you, mm-hmm. hey, how do you like my shirt or my new hairstyle? You might hate it, but you're like, uh, Love it because you yeah. don't want to hurt their feelings, right? In a therapy session, there, there really isn't that opportunity to say you want to hurt someone's feelings. It's right. about you. It's all about so you, right? Why would you have an opportunity where you are not always telling the truth? So anyway, that's good. That's good. It's been phenomenal. So good, man. And you know, a couple of things you said. It's, it's so good there. Um, that inward journey, and it's so interesting that we don't want to do it often because we'll do it for, as an example, sports. We'll go there with a coach. We'll let a coach take us there, pull that out of us. Oh, come on. You know, you can swing better. You can throw better. You can tackle better, you know, and, and use any. We'll allow that coach to use anything they want to use to pull that mm-hmm. out of us. But when it comes to this, mm-hmm. uh, our inward journey in the most intimate ways, uh, we shy away from it, man. So, so, so good. Um, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So on this topic, how would you describe the current state of diversity, equity, inclusion? How would you how would you describe it? You know, I, I would say that you know, following the the impact of the pandemic um, and the civil unrest that came about um, from the brutal killings of George Floyd and many others um, at the hands of of the police in the United States, um, I think it sparked 
a worldwide movement to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with that, I would describe the state of DE&I as a moment of truth for many firms, institutions, communities, leaders. Mm. Um, and it's forced us to reflect um, and, and take action and begin to find ways to hold each other accountable mm-hmm. um, as it's a moment to recommit to the equity yeah. of our people, yeah. of all people. Um, and, and, and we, in many firms, in many communities, we talk about the fact that um, our people are our greatest assets. So if that's a true statement and there's a true commitment and belief to that statement, then I think that, um, you know, this moment has truly highlighted, like really put that headlight on that point yeah. around people. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, over this time, uh, this word I'm sure existed before, but I certainly mm-hmm. have never seen it. I, I, I acknowledge, acknowledge this word this much before. Uh, allyship. I had never mm-hmm. seen this word used so much before. Mm-hmm. Um, now it is the word, right? Several times a day. I, I don't care where you turn. You've seen the word allyship. And um, the good news is we see a lot of folks stepping up to be allies, right? And a lot of things happening uh, in so many different ways across the spectrum of what people are doing. I'm curious as to what you've seen so far in terms of what's working well in the form of allyship. Any, any things yeah. you've seen of note that you see yeah. working well? Yeah. yeah, happy to share. You know, but I think, first of all, I I think what we what we should come to an agreement with is that no matter where we start as leaders and as individuals, um, I firmly believe that we all have a responsibility, mm-hmm. especially as leaders. Yeah, we all have a responsibility to learn how to improve our knowledge, our skills, our competencies, um, specifically to better understand how to support. Mm-hmm. Right our colleagues, our companies, our students, our institutions, and the people that we lead and that we work with. Yeah. Um, I think that's an obligation. Um, and, and, and with that being said, um, on the journey now towards becoming what, as you refer to, um, as an ally, and I think specifically as an effective ally, everyone will be starting from a different starting place. Mm-hmm. And we all have to learn that at each stage, right, at each single stage that we're going on this individual journey to most become an, an effective ally, we must understand the whys that are driving mm. our reason for that journey, mm-hmm. right? So it's essential that we do not become critical of ourselves or others or place judgment on ourselves or others as we continue into this continuum towards becoming a better social citizen. And the point of allyship is to become a better social citizen. Right, that's, right. that's essentially the, the core of allyship. Right. Um, so what I've seen are people who find themselves placing judgment on others, whether it's themselves, mm-hmm. where they feel like they're not doing enough, or whether it's on others that feel like others are not doing enough towards becoming better allies. Mm. Um, and and I think it comes down to understanding your why. Why are you on the journey to becoming an ally? And yeah. once you understand that, again, it's unique to you. Yes. Once you understand your reason why, then I think the next step is to really now understand the difference between intent mm-hmm. and impact. Mm. Right? Because as we strive to become 
better social citizens and allies, we might find ourselves focusing so much Mm. on good intentions. But as we've heard from our family members and our experiences, unless those good intentions and good thoughts turn into supportive actions, there is room to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So good. That's good. And, you know, I get you on that, on that why piece. Um, because if you don't answer the why, it's really you, you you don't have some of the the underlying substance you need to sustain you. Right. Mm-hmm. And the one thing you said before in a conversation we had, I thought was really important. And I think it's in there, but I really want you to to, to speak to it a bit just just so it's not uh, missed. Is you you mentioned before something I, I left with was after the why this whole idea of really. Doing your own learning in terms of the impact right to really have an appreciation for that can you say a little bit more about that yeah no it's 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 critically important i can speak through my story right um you know i i came from you know like you said the business into a role that is focused on people mm-hmm. um and there there i had so many blind spots especially in diversity and inclusion right the idea is to um create a sense of belonging for everyone but as the head of dni um i am a black man who, was, who spent the first 14 years of his life in Lagos, Nigeria, growing up. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with certain cultures and values in X, Y, and Z. And a good example is today, today in Nigeria, um, being uh, in the community of LGBTQ+, is against the law. Right. You cannot be gay, lesbian, or trans in Nigeria. It's against the law. 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 Got so it. So if you are gay or you know, a, a lesbian, you will go to jail. Wow. Wow. In Nigeria today, a country that has over 200 million people plus. Wow. Um, so coming from such a background, right. And leading such an initiative, right. Mm-hmm. I needed to go on a journey to better, to begin to unlearn many things that I have learned mm-hmm. and relearn based on the culture and the environment that I found myself in. Right. So, when we talk about going on a journey, I think we as individuals need to truly understand where we are at on that journey. For some others, it might look differently. Some others might be, oh, I grew up in a community where it was all Caucasians and uh, my family rhetoric was, you know, my parents believe that, you know, being, um, whether it's Caucasian or white is superior to others. That's how we were raised. Mm-hmm. We we're raised to believe that we are the best. Absolutely. Based on, Right. Um, and again, no one's saying that your upbringing is wrong or what have you. We're just saying that in the environment that you're in today, that is not the culture we're looking to, to build. Right. So there needs to be some sort of unlearning on that so you can begin to learn the, 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 the way mm. forward in this culture and, mm. and prepare yourself for the future of work. So, so that's what we talk about, kind of going on this inward journey about where you are and what can you do as an individual to begin to grow along that line? And, and those are just some examples. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. You know, one of the things that I think we're challenged with, and you spend much more time on this than I do, certainly, but I'm always frequently looking at the information and I struggle with it is, you know, we've seen a business case for diversity for so long, right? That homogeneous teams, I'm sorry, heterogeneous teams outperform homogeneous teams, right? The data has been syndicated by credible sources for an extremely long period of time, right? Well, well over 10 years when I say long period of time. 
And uh, but we haven't seen the movement necessarily. Right. Point eight percent of CEOs and Fortune 500 companies, excuse me, 0.6% because we lost one. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so three out of 500 of the Fortune 500 CEOs are black. 3.8% professionals, and I think professionals defined as um, within two layers of the CEOs are black. So grossly underrepresented, lack of movement. What could change to move that? G- great, <laughs> great question. And, and and if I knew the direct answer to that, listen, I'll be a multi-billionaire, Okay. If I knew the answer to that, uh, we will be multi-billionaires. How about that, James? Uh, but to, to to give a shot at it, I, I think that far too often, James, and we are all guilty of this, we spend so much time on representation of numbers, so much time on it. And then we lose sight on the purpose of diversity. The, the, the purpose of diversity is not necessarily to just diversify your board or diversify your workforce. Right? That's not what success is. Right. It, it's, it's, it, what that is, is it shows you a posture. Here's where you're at. Great point. Right? Um, and, but the, 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 the goal, the goal here is, and the whole point is to solicit, solicit the diverse perspective, thoughts, of the individuals who yeah, are diverse. And that, that is the goal. Anything else, you're falling short. So for me, I'd like to pivot this conversation towards paying more attention to retaining sad talent by developing a culture of belonging where everyone's included hmm. and your perspective is sought out. So let's look at, so you talk about those numbers. Let's look at, let's speak with the individuals that are on those, in those seats, in those boardrooms, in those offices, in that, in that meeting. Are their words, are their thoughts, are their perspective, not only are they being, are they being sought out? Right. And is it being included in the decision that's being made? Right. Right. If we start there and we make sure that that is happening, I can promise you, based on my thoughts, my humble thoughts, right. that as a result, you will begin to see firms say, mm. oh, my God, I have a James who is African-American. I tell you, his background is so rich that it makes us, when we think about our products, it gives an ability to tap into these markets. Yeah. It gives an ability to kind of hear things that we wouldn't think of. It gives an ability to say X, Y, and Z. Um, I have this lady named X, Y, and Z. And her thoughts, I have this right. And and we begin to see value in the diverse perspective rather than value in the diverse numbers. Yeah. And I think that is and, and the reason why I think it's a big deal, um, James, is what we are essentially doing is we are trying to disrupt numbers and not the culture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I have this quick theory I'd like to share with you. Please, and, 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 and I hope it brings it home. Um, have you heard about the the five wet monkey theory? I have not. Okay, good. Please. And I'll try to I'll try to do the short version. It's something you can Google and kind of it's a theory that's out there. And the idea is about culture and what it means to shift culture, right? And 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 what we're talking about with DNI is that we're looking to shift culture, but what we're doing is we're changing the numbers, but we're not shifting culture. So here's here's a theory. Uh, there was a laboratory with scientists. They had a cage with five monkeys in this cage. The scientists tied a, a rope or a string on a banana and dropped it to the top of the cage. 
and the five monkeys instinctively jumped to grab the banana. Mm-hmm. As soon as they grabbed the banana and began to peel this banana, the scientist takes a fire hose and sprays them with water until they let go of that banana and stop touching it. They repeat this process over, drop the banana, spray, mm-hmm. drop the banana, spray, until the monkeys began to learn not to touch that banana. Mm-hmm. And then once that happened, the scientists took away the, the fire holes hidden somewhere and never to be brought out again. However, they drop the banana on a string and no one touches the banana. Mm-hmm. The scientist goes in, takes out one of the five original monkeys and puts in a brand new monkey. They had not seen anything previously. They do this experiment again. They drop the banana. What happens, James? The new monkey dashes to the banana, right? Right. What do the four old monkeys do? They jump on the new monkey and begin to beat the monkey up because they know touching this banana would get everyone here sprayed. Everyone gets sprayed. Mm. Mm. But they beat the new, they beat up the new monkey. The new monkey doesn't touch the banana. They repeat the process. The new monkey learns not to touch that banana. What happens after that? They take out one of the four original monkeys and bring in a new one. Same exact thing happens. The new one goes, the rest of them hop on that four. James, they repeat this process until all five original monkeys have been replaced with completely new monkeys. Now, mind you, these new monkeys had never seen the fire holes. Wow. They just know not to touch that banana. Wow. Right? So that's what's happening. We're saying, replace the monkey with a black monkey. Replace the monkey with a Latina monkey. Replace the monkey with a woman, with, with a female, or with someone from the transgender. We're replacing the monkeys, but we're not changing the culture that doesn't give voice. Right. Voice to individuals that are on their seat. So, so that, that's how I kind of look at it. Like, if mm. we could begin to find ways to challenge the status quo. Right. By disrupting bias, microaggression mansplaining, discrimination, racism, restrictive policies, procedures, so on and so forth and so forth, then we truly begin to find ways to change the culture in which we find ourselves in today. So, wow. So that's, that's a, was that a true experiment? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it happened in, in terms of reality, but I know for a fact it's a true theory. True theory, true yeah. Theory. And, and you can theory. see that, right? I mean, you could, you could totally um, hear I mean, the credibility of that uh, plan out. So here's the, the thing. Hmm. So I, I, I'm with you on the part around the culture piece, yet I'm going to hold fast to my numbers representation too, right? Only because, because um, I think we probably are, you know, I don't think we're in disagreement. I think we probably both agree on both parts, right? Because Absolutely. I think I think diversity, we used to always say, is the ticket to the dance. Inclusion is being invited to the dance floor, right? And we, right. And we still need both. To your point, <clears throat> is there something to be said around if we're not invited to the dance floor, we have to just walk out onto the dance floor? Right. So in this cultural part. So let's talk about that a little bit. Right. Because and what will give us because some of this is, I'm sure, wrapped in psychological safety. Right. Uh, And in this in this tension between being invited to versus we do we also have to be more assertive in how we do that. And and when's the right time. Right. Some of it is on what we would what we would say is, uh, you know, uh, capital that we've established inside a company through our performance. And otherwise, some of it could be through, you know, sponsorship that gives us, you know, some room in front of us to make us feel like we can take more risks and take chances and, you know, throw our voice out first in the pivotal meetings and such. What what, what are your thoughts? You know, I, <laughs> um, James, let, help me understand what you mean by we would 
just walk on the dance floor and start dancing. Give me examples, right? Because I think from a theoretical perspective, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, me, right? me, meaning that um, when we talk about this cultural change and we talk about, uh, when I said it's not just to focus on numbers, it's to focus on having the voice and using those voices. Let me give you, let me give you a, a better example. It's almost like the difference between the usage of ERGs and them not evolving to a BRG inside of a company. When I think about ERGs, again, I think about employee resource groups that are used in such a way that you can go there and it's a safe place to share your grievances, your concerns, their cultural days of, you know, food and things like that. But BRGs are used and when they use well to say, look, as we want to expand into Latino communities, we want you to help us better understand the consumers in those communities, help us inform our marketing, help us think about how the analytics play out and go through them with us as a leadership team and be with us in co-creating strategy and looking at the results, so on and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. Level that up to the to the C-suite or the professional level. Same thing. Shared voice and co-creating and doing things versus you're just on the team. And it's almost like, you know, rubber stamp effect. You you, you happen to be there. Right. Versus mm-hmm. you've co-created. Yeah. No. Well, very good. Example. Thank you for that. And so for me, here's how I look at it. And again, I'm going to use the example of culture. Right. Um, and, and they say this all the time. Uh, that culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Absolutely. So when I hear that, we have to think about what the corporate culture is like. Let's mm-hmm. be realistic, James. Okay. You know, again, it makes sense. But let's let's think tactically. Yeah. How would that work in a corporate culture? Mm-hmm. Right. So the way corporate culture works today, James, and you can tell me you can tell us way more than I can share with you because you, you've been a leader um, for, for many, many decades. Uh, and that's not a shot at your age, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you see the thing, no. bro? I want to make sure I put that out there. As a <laughs> um, but, so, but the idea is that we know for a fact for corporations, we're talking about C-suite levels, people like people in, in your level, you look at value add. Mm-hmm. When we talk about strategy, we talk about uh, uh, you know, whether you're a for-profit corporate co- corporation, whether you are a, a private or public corporation, it's about value add, right? And Absolutely. value add to the bottom line. Like, so when you bring in suggestions, when you bring in anything that's time consuming, we want to tie that to our corporate objectives. Yes. Okay. Um, and we measure that by our balance sheets. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so what you have to, what we have to understand is that whatever we're trying to do, in a corporate culture, it has to somewhat fit into that existing mode. Now, if what you're trying to do, it doesn't tie directly to that. So it's not like you could say uh, BRG for X, Y, and Z will give us $20,000 savings in 2024. Or if you can't say that, mm. then you need to re- you need to look at your 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 business cultural model, so to speak. Forgive me for saying that. I just made that up. You have to look at that and see how can we shift this in mm-hmm. a way that we could value this. Yeah. Yeah. So until that happens, you're just you 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 should be you're just hoping that someone at that C suite level who's in the seat of a CEO has a passion for that. Yeah. And no, if they do, point. then you're making progress. Yeah. And if they don't have a passion for that, you need to help them understand how that brings value add. And to me that's the challenge. That's why we're not seeing a lot of progress. Yeah, We're seeing a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing a lot of progress. Very fair point. Very fair. All right. Very yeah. fair point. 
Very fair point. That's good. Let me ask you this. You know, folks like yourself prior prior to the social unrest were already subscribed to pretty large agendas. I mean, I just think about what I read in your bio. I mean, you've got a very uh, significant job building the dream team, building this, <laughs> this, this strategy for the company. And now you add to that this social unrest and people's rally cry and demand to a certain degree for organizations to drive change and you, you know, some wind at your at your back, but tremendous wind at your face, right? And and probably to a certain degree, feeling oversubscribed. Tell me, man, how are you feeling? How are you handling this, personally and professionally? No, it's a great question, and, and I've I've tried to share this many times with colleagues. Um, you know, it, it was rough. I'll be honest with you, right? Um, because for the first time in my career, I was in a position where um, I, I was trying to figure out my balance. Mm. I was knocked off. Yeah. Right. I, on one end of it, mm. I'm trying to truly navigate my emotions about how I felt about, you know, the George Floyd murder. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking like, okay, how do I have a conversation with my my six year old daughter right. about this? Should I have a conversation with her about it? Should she hear it from friends in school, or yeah. should she hear it from her father? Um, should she hear it from her mother? Uh, like you know, so I'm I'm trying to figure out how do I feel about it. I'm, I'm upset, James. I was angry. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm very frustrated. How did you, how did you ultimately handle it? Right. So, so the way that I did it was um, take a step back because on that hand, not only was I going through that, I also needed to be present for my colleagues at the office being the head of DNI. I need to make sure that my company hopefully responded in a way that our colleagues feel a sense of support and a sense of being seen. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was able to handle that piece because I felt that I needed to be present to execute on my job, job functions. Mm-hmm. And I think that process helped me not spend too much time in my emotions. And I spent much more time thinking about how others were feeling. Right. And that helped me in my journey because now I'm rather than sharing frustration, I'm listening to frustrations. Right. And it aligned very, it resonated deeply with me. Mm. The sense of empathy that people talk about was all that I felt. Yeah. So it was inspirational in X, Y, and Z. So, um, there isn't a science to it, James, you know this. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think that um, this is something that we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, this is something that we're going to see again and again and again. Um, so with that being said, this is not me being a pessimist. I think this is me being more of an optimist where I feel that, okay, now that it has happened in this environment, how can I take full advantage of this moment? So all our DNI stuff we've talked about doing in the past, things that were like, oh, we're not ready for it, we didn't have the budget for it, or X, Y, and Z. I tell my fellow colleagues in the DNI principal, bring that stalker back up. Let's bring it back on the tape now. It's okay. Now that we forgive me for saying this, now that we have your attention, mm-hmm. let's revisit this. Yeah. Now, what can we push forward to make a long-lasting difference? Right? The idea is not just to get things done now, but the idea is to put things in place like a vehicle. That can get us to a destination that we want to get to in the next uh, five to six to ten years. Yeah. So, can you remember how you felt literally after the first time you saw that video? Oh my god, yes. I felt I was scared. So, um, so two things just happened in the two minutes you just talked. Right. I thought mm-hmm. about you, um, talking about having to talk to your daughter, right? And I felt myself even just now having to fight back some tears for a second, right? Um, and I thought about the multi 
dimensions that you had to process during that time that we all have to process dimensions of historical memories that in the moment and then our responsibilities at one time. Right. And then show up. Yeah. Right. Process and show up. <clears throat> so that was one thing that happened in those two minutes. And then when you said, and this will happen again, when you said that, I, I, I bro, I felt like Jesus in a temple. I felt like I was about yeah. to flip this table over, man. Like I just, no, <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no, yeah. no. We have to figure out how that's no. Like, seriously. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. It, it, listen, it's it's. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that's why we're here. Yeah. That's why know? we're here. Yeah. So yeah. All right, I'll move on. But but yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, a, it's before we move on, just just to say this, it's. You know, this is what's difficult um, about this conversation is that unlike many things we're used to, this one really sits on the idea of you must be in the driver's seat to really feel it. Mm-hmm. Right? You, like, you know, the, the, the sense, the competence is right. not about reading the book or hearing your friend go through this, or your, or your spouse go through this. Um, it, you, there is a sense of fear, James, that we have. No doubt about it. Right? No doubt fear. about it. No doubt it, about it. it. It's, it's not just about the psychological safety. We all talk about that. Many people feel every right. single this day. Is, this is fear for life. <laughs> I, and I think, you know, for those listening and... Um, I, you know, I've had colleagues before say this to me. I think I was in my, I think I was in a job when I was at uh, Allstate, and uh, you know, people get you know think you have a title, you know, and think you've arrived. And yeah. um, someone said, "Oh no, these things don't happen to you, right? Uh, not you." And I go, "Yeah, yeah, me. Like, just because I know, you know, I don't wear Timberland boots as much as I used to, and I have a tailored suit. Nothing, nothing's changed. Nothing materially has changed." in terms of that particular interaction every day and the fear of that interaction. Right. I'm not talking 10 years ago. I'm talking not 10 weeks ago. I'm talking 10 days ago. Uh, And so uh, it's, it's material that people understand that to your point, that fear uh, is something we live with every day. And and, and it's not a, you know, when people say, well, we uh, I've had some good friends who well-meaning statements such as, well, you know, you, you be careful and not trying to change the world. My response is, I don't have the convenience not to mm. be concerned with not changing the world. Well said. Well said. We don't have the privilege at all. Yeah. I don't have the convenience not to not yep. uh, be concerned with changing the world. So let me ask you this. You know, what advice do you give to others in similar roles, whether they've been long tenured or, you know, breaking in? I mean, you shared your your story and I think well said in terms of how you handle it. Any advice as you've been working through this that you might impart? You know, James, again, I I hear this question a lot and I tell you, I struggle with the answer only because, um, and I'm not just trying to be humble about this, but I'm, I'm a couple years in this journey. I I seek the advice. Um, I'm happy to share my, my, my findings. I'm happy to share, um, you know, mistakes, 
opportunity for improvements. I'm happy to share best practices, things that have worked. Um, but but what I would say in, in, in efforts to try to answer the question is, um, it, it should be bigger than you. Yes. You know, um, you know, I, I've I've held many positions in my life that that wasn't that was more about me receiving my check mm-hmm. than it was about making a difference. Yeah. Um. Um. So so I've I've moved from a role where um, my sleepless nights came from um, issues in production. Yeah. Or you know, you know, glitches in the system. Um. To hearing stories from my colleagues who feel a sense of um unfair treatment yeah. or unequal treatment mm-hmm. or or fear for this and that right so so it's 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 real like this is a this role it's here yeah so if it's not something that that means this for you then you know i i think that um there are many other roles that you could take because this would really bring everything yeah everything out of you yeah that's right yeah let me let me wrap up with this question one of the things that i've heard from some is you know we're we're in this moment because of a number of different things obviously ignited by what we all saw in that video right it was for so many reasons but one of the things that's also sparked so much change is the level of disruption socially right and i've heard some people say in order to truly see movement inside organizations, you need that level of disruption and uprising inside of organizations. How, how does that feel when I say that? What, how does that resonate with you or not? You know, it, it, it reminds me of the conversation we just had earlier, right? Where it's almost like, what do you mean by disruption? Mm, mm-hmm. Give me examples. Are you, are you in the office? Are you saying that you're going to walk into your CEO's office and tell them, hey, this is enough of this. We need this. What kind of disruption are you referring to? Yeah. Um, because... Again, there are corporate cultures where uh, disruption, there are consequences for those kinds of disruptions. Consequences. Yeah. Not for retaliation. Yeah. Consequences. Consequences. You yeah. Know these yeah. Um, so it depends on who you are and, and, and you know what you have, what you're ready to sacrifice. Are you ready to sacrifice your livelihood, mm-hmm. your salary, maybe, your job? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're ready to do that, then by all means, go forth and conquer, and I hope you're successful. But for me, I think what's more important is to make sure that we Build a sense of community. Mm-hmm. That's the power and disruption comes for me in two folds, right? So one, when I think of disruption, I mean disruption in the way, like I mentioned earlier, from things of how you go on a journey where you can begin to go on this allyship journey, right? You know, I, I you know, rest in peace. Uh, the honorable John Lewis talked about good trouble. Yes, right. And what does that look like? And that means something different from each person, right? But I think when I when I think about good trouble. I think about disruption, right? That has an impact that is positive mm-hmm. to a community that's bigger than the trouble that I'm providing. Right, right. If that impact is again, it goes back to that intent and impact. My intent could be this, the impact could be different. You have to align your intent to that impact. So a good example you brought earlier was like ERGs and BRGs. That's a vehicle right. that brings together a community of people towards disruption. So if you're talking about disruption through an ERG, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. Right, because you have a community of people that it's hard. I'll, I'll give a good example. Let's think about the disruption that occurred in the NFL, where the honorable Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. um, 
as an individual, chose to begin a disruption. As an individual, he began to kneel. Actually, before he knelt, he began to sit down right. to the national anthem. And then his good friend, who was in the military, advised him to kneel. So he began to kneel. And that became this thing where you started seeing the culture respond. The culture responded to him. And essentially, he lost his job, right. his career. That's the consequence of disrupting a culture. That's right. As an individual. That's right. Now, what we're seeing here years later is that you see a movement, a movement of people coming together to say, we are going to kneel. Mm-hmm. Now, the culture is, is forced to adjust, to accommodate that. So now you're seeing not just uh, players kneeling in the NBA, you're seeing the NBA come and say, hey, listen, we're going to make this a statement going forward and before every single game. Not only are you going to kneel, in fact, we have ideas. You're going to wear T-shirts that says Black Lives Matter and a message that means something to you in your back, right? This is now the corporation who held... Now, remember, the NBA mm. put out a message when Kaepernick was in the NFL that they would not tolerate that in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now, that has changed. Things have changed dramatically. Dramatically. So dramatically. Again, I think it matters in how you disrupt. Yeah. How you disrupt it as an individual? I think if you try, if you want to do that, do it more individually. Do mm-hmm. it by calling out things like bias, calling out things like mansplaining, calling out things that you see that are discriminatory at the office, calling out policies that don't make sense to you. Yeah. Ask the right questions. That's how you disrupt as an individual. Yeah. Now, as a community of people, join an ERG, join an affinity network group, create one, mm-hmm. and with that, have a collective voice, and then you can disrupt more bigger. So that's how I look at good trouble, not by someone trying to. I guess, be a hero and essentially, you know, facing the consequences of good. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. I hear. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that, yeah, that disruption with purpose and yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, man, I just want to thank you for, for sharing these nuggets and your experience and particularly during a time like this, where again, I, I know you're oversubscribed. Um, mm-hmm. I want to recap some of the points that you, you hit on. Um, the one, you know, we didn't expect this out of your fun fact, but the one thing you talked about was, you know, this idea of people see me and, and it appears I have it all together, but man, there's a team behind me. And one of those persons on my team is my therapist. And that helps me keep my head straight. And look, guys, um, you know, I said not the success thought of the day, right? Because and I've been doing that for 20 years now, because if we don't have our thoughts right, nothing else is right. 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 Our actions are followed by our thoughts. And, and that's so um, commendable. Um, and again, for, for particularly within the black community where um, we don't as black men uh, tend to do to want to do that. I, I, I encourage people to do that. Absolutely. Um, secondly, that each of us to be committed to this journey towards social justice need to focus on our why. Why are we doing this? Let the why guide the actions and particularly for allies when you start, right? Be focused on your why and getting your why identified because that's going to give you the wind to sustain your journey. Uh, Yimmy followed that up with uh, the intent and the impact, right? So knowing your intent that you want to have and be monitoring for the impact. And to me, it's like, like you, I'm sure this is what you meant, like any other business objective, <laughs> what, what are the goals so we can measure it, right? That, yep. that which is not measured, we can't expect outcomes for. Absolutely. Um, for, and it's such a good conversation we had, and thank you for pushing back, man, this culture of belonging. So we talked about diversity and inclusion, right? I was talking about the, the initial metrics of diversity, which sometimes we, we phrase as having a ticket to the dance, and inclusion 
being invited to the dance floor. And Yemi talked about this culture of belonging, right? So being aligned, I'm going to say being aligned to the current culture and being able to participate in that culture, right? And uh, one of the things to consider there is how you help shape, mold, and be a part of evolving that culture because cultures can evolve over time. Uh, but you need to be filling that out and being cognizant of what is today, where you want to go, and what part, you know, how you can participate. Um, I love this five wet monkey theory that you shared, man, and, and what happens there. Because to your point, the initial monkeys that were sprayed, they had real uh, evidence and experience. But the ones, once they were worked out, were reacting to something that was secondary, even at some point tertiary, right? As people kept getting cycled out. Uh, and being prohibited from getting to the to, to what was their goal, right? What was good for them? So we can learn a lot from that story. And last but not least, disruption with a purpose, right? Really being focused on trying to have change, but being disrupted with a purpose. So, so thank you, thank you, Yemi. Appreciate you. No, my pleasure. And if I could just add one more thing to that, please. I would like to. I look at it like disruption with a purpose and community. And community. Mm. I think that's the key part here, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we could do it alone. I think that we, we need to find a sense of community of people who are passionate about that Love. same purpose, align, and then together, I think we can bring real change. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yemi, thank you so much for participating. You've been a part thank of the Crawling Solution. Guys, as you know, uh, we love to make sure that you are aware, that you have actionable insight, and that you are empowered. Um, these are our thoughts, but as always, please add your thoughts. You can, on any platform that you're listening or watching, please add in the comments, and I'll be sure to respond to you. As always, be aware, be accountable, be empowered. See you next time.